Welcome to another episode of the Willie Morgan Show here exclusively on Football CFB. Before we start today, I've just announced the competition that if you follow Football CFB on Twitter and retweet my pinned tweet, you can win a signed copy of Willie's excellent book. There's going to be a lucky winner sometime soon, Willie. Yeah, whenever you um, just let me know and uh, the book will be on its way to whoever wins it. Before we start today also, um, there's a few um, people have got in touch um, from Scotland and they're doing a few charity initiatives. Would you mind giving them a wee shout out? Yeah, I know that um, Storyburn Football Club, they're doing a fundraiser for mental health and obviously wish you all the very best. I hope you raise lots and lots and lots of money. And also to Andy Young and Simon Donnelly, 300k walk. I don't think I could do that in a year, but they're doing that um, for Jackie, Mara, Jackie McNamara's foundation. And again, lads, I hope you get good weather, it doesn't rain, and that you raise lots and lots of money as well. So good luck, good luck to all of you. Great causes there. And let's start our show as ever with the, the latest news in terms of Manchester United. The club are doing well um, since they've returned. They had a comprehensive win recently. Um, over Bournemouth, 5-2. Mason Greenwood getting all the headlines. The 18-year-old performing very well on the wing, <laughs> funnily enough. What do you make of Mason Greenwood, Billy? I think he's I think he's the best forward we have. Now, I do rate Rashford, but I think Mason Greenwood looks like he could be a really great player. He's got everything. Um, I just like what he does, how he does it. And... Um, can only keep her fingers crossed. So I hope Ollie keeps him in the team. That's number one. And uh, I think he'll score goals. Well, obviously, he'll score goals for us. Just a good player. Another player that I want to talk to you about is Bruno Fernandes, an incredible impact since he came into Old Trafford. Just how much would you have liked to have played alongside him? Um, well, yeah, he's, he's good. I think the Paddy Crand and George Best and Dennis Law and Bobby Chant, well, they weren't too bad either, you know. <laughs> so, I don't think I really miss very much, but he looks good. And again, it's a breath of fresh air to have him in the team. And hopefully, you know, it, it's a building process for Ollie. And he's not going to do it overnight. Yeah, we'll have little runs, do this, do that. But it's, it's going to take a few years before he gets the team how he wants it. Still defensively, you know, not great. And we need another, well, my opinion, of, you know, he wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, we need, we need a few more players. But yes, him, Greenwood, Rashford, and Martial, you know, he's, he's come on a bit. He's a centre forward. And they're playing the lad on the left wing. He's not a winger. He's a centre-forward. And if you play him in his proper position, he'll score goals. So we're not, you know, up front, we're not that bad. So we'll, hopefully they can keep it going. If they qualify for Europe next year, it would be great. Obviously, it would be brilliant. And there's no reason why we can't. I mean, Chelsea, they're not great. Uh, 
Spurs are diabolical. Uh, <laughs> Mourinho's killed them off. So um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot to beat. And hopefully we'll just keep on with the run. They're scoring goals, which is very important. Uh, and it was, you know, that was the philosophy of of Samat. Doesn't matter if they score six, as long as we score seven. Uh, <laughs> that's all that matters. So I, I think, you know, he, he knows what he's got to do. I think we've got the right guy. I think Solskjaer is the right guy. Just give him time. You know, Alex took five years before he, he, he did anything. So give the lad time. And, I, you know, the players want to play for him. They obviously like him. Um, so we'll see where we go from here. One of the characters you just mentioned there, um, Jose Mourinho, former Manchester United manager, not mm-hmm. working out for him at all at Tottenham at the moment. Um, a lot of people in the press this week have questioned whether it's maybe time for him to go to international football where he's not working as regularly because it does appear from the outside looking in that the magic may, may be gone. What magic? <laughs> Callum, the magic... He's the most defensive manager that's ever been in the game. You know, he's a guy who never played. He, you know, he couldn't play himself. And all he does is spoil. Same with Chelsea, you know. Okay, and we know they won. But they were dreadful to watch. Even the Chelsea supporters. And, you know, I've got a few friends who are Chelsea supporters. Said watching them was dire. Yeah, they get results, they eat them out. They just defence, defence. And he did, he did the same at Man U came here and turned us into a defensive team. He's gone to Spurs and done exactly the same there. He, I don't know what he's thinking is. I really don't know what he's thinking. International manager, you don't, you don't, want, some, you don't want your international team just playing defensive and hoping to get a break. You know, you want someone who's going to be creative and go forward and, and play proper football. You know, make it exciting. You know, you don't want to win drab one nils or you want it to be exciting and win. So whatever, you know, good luck to him, whatever he does, he keeps getting jobs, which is quite amazing, but he does. Uh, good luck to him. Obviously one of his key men is, is Harry Kane. Would you if you were in Harry Kane's position being in that Tottenham team at the moment with and as you've said, a defensive manager, would you be looking to move on this summer if you possibly could? No, I'd be looking to move back to centre half because you get more, you get more touches of the bottle at centre half. He, he's killing Harry King. You know, he's, you just you can't you can't have a natural goal scorer up there and getting getting nothing. He's got no ammunition. He's getting nothing, and people say, "Oh well, he's not." It's just the way they play. I I think if Harry King, I think if Mourinho stays there. Harry Kane will look to be on his bike and get somewhere else. You know, some I'd love him at Man U. I'd love Harry Kane up here. He's a goal scorer, and he'd be great up front for us. So, Ollie, if you're listening, get down there, pal, and get him signed. I want to talk to you um, about some big characters today. We've talked in the past episodes about George Best and Matt Busby and a few others, but. I want to touch on an Irishman because we've got quite a few Irish listeners. They always get in touch and they always like to ask about their, their fellow countrymen. And that man today is Shea Brennan. Just tell us about Shea. Shea Brennan. Oh, my God. 
they called we call it the bomber that was his nickname his nickname the bomber he was the coolest guy you ever met he was a big smoker he smoked non-stop and a big gambler uh he played right back when i when i joined he was still right back uh shay I, I remember one one story about shay that i'll tell you we um it was the first game of the season at Old Trafford. We're playing Southampton. Uh, they had a guy called Ron Davis for centre forward. And the little guy in the left wing was called John Sydenham. Uh, and I, he didn't really do much, but he was very quick. So we set off. Beautiful day. We, Bestie took a free kick. We got a free kick. Best took a free kick. I came in. I scored, we went 1-0 up. The sun was shining, 63,500, everything was wonderful. At halftime, we were 4-1 down. <laughs> so, and all that happened was, Sydney picked the ball up, just kicked it past Shea, ran past him, didn't beat him, just ran past him. Four times, four crosses, four headers, Ron Davis. So we're 4-1 down at halftime. So we all go in and we're oh, very quiet. And all, you know, Matt didn't come into the dressing room at halftime. He didn't, you saw the gaffer at the beginning for a couple of minutes and then in the end, Jack Crompton, the trainer, was there. So we go in and we're all sat very quiet. And Jack said, Shay, Shay, where's Shay? <laughs> so he looked in the, in the, uh, the bathroom and the toilets and where we had, you know, the big bath. He's not there. We opened the, the dressing room door and we could hear him. It was a little corridor at Old Trafford at that time. And at the top of the corridor, they had a telephone, a little telephone booth. And we could hear Shay. He opened the door and Shay said, and what won the 2.30? Uh, what? Uh, okay. Well, I like three 20-pound doubles and a 20-pound treble on such and such. <laughs> So Crompton is shut. Shay, get in the, get in here. I won't be a minute, Jack. Yeah, and I want a twenty-pound win on such and such. He sat in this booth anyway, and the booth's only like two, or three yards from the the dressing room door. So you could hear every, we could hear every word as well. Anyway, he comes back in, and Crompton is screaming at him, and he walked over. To where he, he changed. He went into his pocket, got a fag out, <laughs> lit the fag, <laughs> lit the fag out. Now, there's only about two or three minutes left before we went back out. He lights the fag out and said, Jack, what's the problem? <laughs> Crofton said, We kick him, kick him in the sky. He's murdering. He said, Jack, he's having a good day. I don't want to upset him. You know, the lad's having a good day, you know. <laughs> then the, the bell went and I took put his bag out. went back out in the pitch and if I'm correct I, you know Callum I, I'm not quite sure I think it was the last time she played I, I think uh, that was the last game so yeah the bomber he was uh, yeah, he was a great lovely lovely guy so and he was actually a very good fullback but this kid who I said all he had was speed, and he was. He was very, very quick. So, 
So all you Irish listeners, I know she's not with us anymore, um, but he was a lovely man, and he was a, he was a very, very good player, but the coolest man in town. And another interesting thing is, as well as our Irish listeners, we've also got plenty of fellow Scots, and quite a few mm-hmm. people want to know about your experiences with Rod Stewart. <laughs> Rod? Oh, there's too many. Wow. Oh, there's loads. Um, I think the, the uh, well, one of the ones we, we came, this is when I'd finished playing. We, uh, we were coming up to Scotland. I went down to London and Rod had hired a private plane. And we, we flew up with his brother and two or three of his friends, flew up to Scotland and, uh, to watch the Scotland-England match. So we and we'd sorted all the tickets out. It wasn't a problem. We'd gone to, we got picked up, uh, went to a hotel, had some lunch, and then we went off to the match. And we're uh, we sat in the coach. The coach was right outside the the uh, entrance, main entrance. And we sat in the coach. And Rod said, "What what would you be doing now?" I said, "Well, you know." I'd be getting a rub down or something, and well, you, you know, and, and what would you, and he's asking all, all these questions, and I'm saying, well, you'd be doing this, I'd be doing that, and managers probably says, oh, I said, you know, it'd be the greatest thrill of my life just to be in the dressing room before the match. So I said, oh, give me a second. Now there's only about half an hour to kick off. This is now, I mean, it's three o'clock in those days, if I remember. It's about half past two. So I got out the coat, I get the front door and the, the, uh, the lad on the door said, oh, Willie, yeah. I said, there's any chance uh, you could get a message to Jock? Jock Steen was the, the manager of Scotland at the time. He said, Willie, it's I said, well, just if you could, uh, just tell him I'm here. Well, do you need to? I said, no, 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 if you could just tell him I'm here. Anyway, he did. And Jock came out. So I'm stood outside. So he said, Willie, can I do anything for you? And I said, no, no. I said, I've got Rod Stewart and the bus. We're up here. Is there any chance I could bring him in just to say hello to the lads? And he said, Willie, it's 25 to 3. I said, ah, well, you know. He said, go and hurry up. Go and get him. So I ran back to the coach. And Rod, so he come run up. Take us in, went into the dressing room, and he was like, well, obviously, as you would be, he was like a five-year-old kid, and all the the players were excited. I mean, we got Rod Stewart in the dressing room before the match, so they were all well chopped. But Rod was he he just, you know, it was it was a nice thing, but it was a nice thing for Jock Steen because you just didn't do that. Yeah, uh, again, another. Fabulous guy, great manager, one of the great managers of all time. Um, but he let me take Rod in and said there was only, normally you went out about quarter to three. There was only five minutes of them going out. <laughs> so anyway, that was one of the things with Rod. Maybe never show up to some of the things that we did. Um, some good, yeah, all good from Germany and then. One of the times when we went down to Wales to watch Scotland play Wales. We'll do that in another show, though, because it'll take too long. 
In terms of um, Jock Steen as a person, you talked about him being one of the, the great managers. What was he like as a person in terms of having a conversation with him? Because he, he seemed from the outside, obviously, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Jock. Um, obviously, sadly, passed away now, as we know. He, he seemed like quite a fierce guy. Is that a true reflection or was he actually quite mellow? It was like sitting with your dad. He was so nice. And, you know, I, I first met him because I nearly signed for Celtic before I went to United. I actually came back up and went down to Celtic Park, took my dad, uh, which made his life. And Jock and Sean Fallon, I think it was, Sean Fallon was the assistant manager or trainer at the time. And they took us around Celtic Park and they came in and they said, you know, will you come back up and sign for us? And this, you know. And I, I was—I had thought about it, um, and in the end, that was twice actually, or three times. I nearly signed for Celtic when I was 15, when I was 18, turning pro, and then when I was 23, when I, I went to United. Uh, so I, I, I didn't know him that well, but just chatting to him, it was like being your dad. He was just—he was like Busby. They were very, very similar. Very similar. And, you know, the, the move that would have been phenomenal when Matt retired was for Jock Steen to come to Old Trafford, not Leeds. Leeds was the wrong place. If he'd have come to Old Trafford, he would have been fantastic. So, no, he was just a nice man. He wouldn't be. <laughs> he was a nice man. Do, do you have any regrets in terms of not signing for Celtic? Is that something you'd look back and wish you had done? Wish I had done. Well, it was my choice not to. I, uh, I said circumstances. It, it was only circumstances. At 15, I, um, as I told you, I, I was going to do the tour of England, pick up all the money, and then come back and sign for Celtic. That was the plan. And I, I broke a bone in my toe when, at Burnley. We were the first club. And, you know, the rest, they was just so nice. And I decided, much to my dad's regret, he was gutted. Uh, and then the other two times, you know, having lived in England, uh, it, was, it was difficult to, to come back. So would I like to have played at Parkhead? Of course, of course. Uh, you know, funnily enough, all, all my pals in the village, they're all Rangers supporters. They would, they would be going to Rangers, but I said, I can't. <laughs> they wouldn't sign me at the time. Um, they, they were, they were all Rangers supporters, my pals. Um, but regret, I, I don't, it would have been nice. It would have been, I don't regret, but it would have been, it would have been nice. My hero was Willie Fernie. I don't know if you're, you're too young to remember him, Callum, but Willie Fernie was an inside left. And he was fine, he could beat, he could go past anybody. Uh, and he was my hero when I was a kid at school. Always wanted to be Willie Fernie. So, because at school in those days, when you're playing in the in the uh, playground, you know, you all chose a name who you wanted to be while you were playing football in the, in the playground. And I say, mine was always Willie Fernie. So, such is life, you know. I know, you know, I've been changing now. It's nice. The people down here have been lovely. Chester's a nice place to live, and you know, nearly all the lads who came here stayed here. Nearly all of them. You know, some of the, the you know, when I mean, you look at the old Scotland team as well, 
Dennis, you know, some of the great players, Dennis, Billy Prem there, Tim McCallio, Tim's a great player. Um, it, it was nice times, but they were all down here playing. You know, there's nobody in Scotland. So, no, no regrets. No regrets. Staying on the theme of Scotland, John Bleasdale has contacted the show and he's asked, do you still keep up to date with Scottish football? And also there was a proposal in Scotland that it's a 12-team league. There was a proposal to increase that to 14. Do you think Scotland should have a bigger league than just 12 teams? Oh, you know, Callum, I, I don't really know. John, I, yeah, I do. I still obviously look at the results. Uh, I, I don't see any of it apart from the odd game that they have on the telly down here on, on Sky. Um, I don't see it. I, I mean, it's very difficult up there. Lack of money, lack of support, you know, for the clubs. It's very, it's hard. And gone are the, gone are the days where, when you had the mines, you had the pits, and you had a conveyor belt of players coming through all the time. Great Scottish players. Um, now, it's just difficult, you know, mostly, there's no poor kids anymore as such. You know, they, anyone with anything, I mean, they get coached from five-year-old. I mean, we never got taught how to play, he just played. He played in the streets, he played in the party, he played anywhere. And it's difficult for, for the clubs in Scotland uh, to, it's difficult to survive. I think they're amazing that they do survive. 12 to 14, would it make any difference? I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, they, I mean, they've, they've spoke about it for many years, as, as you probably know, John, uh, of getting Rangers and Celtic into the Premier League here. And back then, it wasn't the Premier League, it was the old league, but they were still talking about it then. But it never came off, and I don't think it'll ever happen now. So... I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it, the, so many foreign players, same with England, by the way, there's so many foreign players here now, but Scotland more so. You know, the, the homegrown talent, the, there's just not enough coming through. So it is difficult for clubs. So I hope that answers you, John. I hope that answers your question. Grant um, Campbell has asked, and we kind of touched on this earlier when we talked about Harry Kane, but he's got a very direct question. Do Manchester United need to sign a top-class centre-forward to win the league? Grant, assign him tomorrow. Harry Kane would do me. Assign him tomorrow. He's never going to score goals now at Tottenham because they don't attack. Um, he would be great in our team, but we still need... A few years. You're not going to do it overnight. You're always going to get little runs here and there, as I said, but he has to rebuild nearly all the team. I mean, Greenwood looks great, as, as we said. Uh, Rashford, Martial as well. But it's getting... Um, we need a defence. We need a defence. You start from the back. And until that happens... We're always going to be there, thereabouts, but I don't think we're going to. I don't think we're going to win the league in the next few years, sadly. 
Michael has asked, did you get the chance to celebrate either Manchester United or Bolton's Division 2 title wins? From memory, Michael says he thinks you were injured on the last day in Bolton's case. And obviously, he's referring to the issues with the dock in United's case. Uh, <laughs> well, Michael, I, I think we need about 10 programmes to talk about the dock. Uh, I'll touch on them later. The Bolton, the Bolton uh, one, no, yes, I was. I got injured on the Saturday. Um, I can't remember where we were playing. I think it might be Norwich, but I got injured and I got a knee in my in this, my side and the pain was excruciating. Anyway, then we were playing Blackburn at Blackburn on the Wednesday. And if we beat Blackburn, we got promoted. So the, <laughs> I went in for treatment, obviously, on the Sunday and the Monday and the Tuesday. And, you know, the pain is excruciating. So they said, oh, you'll be all right. You know, you got, you'll be all right. Not, won't be too bad. We'll strap you up. So, <laughs> so they just gave me treatment from the, the Sunday through to the Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, we went to Blackburn and they, they strapped me, they strapped me up with a big bandage <laughs> around my, uh, my body. And the first, I went out. And when I first tried to run, I said, I hadn't done nothing from the Saturday. When I first tried to run, I thought I died. The pain shot through. It was incredible. So I was only on the pitch about two, three minutes. And I had to go off, carried off. I went for an x-ray. I had three broken ribs. Uh, and they tried, they tried to play me with three broken ribs. They didn't even know they were broken. So... No, but I did. No, I actually, uh, I was there and I went, went on the pitch for a few minutes. And we did celebrate afterwards. And the same with, with Old Trafford, it was different because the, the, the problems with the dock had arisen and they were very open. And uh, no, I didn't play in, in the, last, the last game. That was him again. Um, but I still enjoyed the fight. The supporters were fantastic. They are fantastic, the Manchester United supporters, absolutely. And to this day, they're still the same. They're great. And they were wonderful. And they knew how bad it was. And without, I, I said it would take too long to, to tell you um, how he did it. Um, he, he, was, he was clever. Um, his nickname was The Rat. He wasn't that popular. So he 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 did so many players and it but it was a long time ago. But I still enjoyed the fact that we obviously came straight back up, won the league, and for the supporters, it was fabulous for them. So no, I still enjoyed it. So Michael, it didn't affect me too much. <laughs> Although I wish I'd never left. I wish I'd never left. I made a mistake. I just signed a new six-year contract the year before. And um, I should have stayed, but I did anyway. So, so there we go. Next one's from Derek. He's written in to say, 
I'm reading Ted McDougall's biography at the moment. In it, he criticises a number of big-name Manchester United players for not being friendly when he joined the club. Do you think this is justified? Well, I'd be very friendly with him, so I don't know. Did I get a mention, Derek? I hope not. I hope not. Uh, I got along great with Ted. He's a good guy. He wasn't... You know, his, his goal-scoring record, where he was, I can't remember, was it Bournemouth or somewhere he played? Somewhere. It was phenomenal. He just wasn't good enough for the first division, sadly. He wasn't good enough for the first division. But as a guy, that Ted was a good we got. I didn't know anyone who didn't who didn't like him. I, I I don't know who he's talking about. I mean, it was the old team still back then. So I who he's talking about, I have no idea. I've not read his book. So maybe Derek, if you tell me the names that he's uh, <laughs> if he's named them, which I presume he has, uh, maybe on the next show I can uh, once I know the names, I'll phone them up and ask them why they didn't like Ted. <laughs> Anyway, wherever he is now, Ted, if you're watching this, I hope everything's good for you, pal. He was a good guy. Lynn Cameron, very big fan of the show. Always, always putting her questions in, which I love to see. She's a very simple question, but very effective. What's the funniest thing that ever happened to you when you were playing? The funniest thing ever happened? Oh, my God. Um, the funniest thing ever happened. I... I don't know the funniest thing. I'd have to. I'll have to think about that. I'll, I'll have a think about it. The funniest thing. Ah, uh, I don't know. There wasn't. It wasn't like. I don't know. I really don't know. You've stumped me. I don't have an answer, Alan. I don't have an answer. Uh, but I will think about it. I will think about it. Yeah. I. Uh, I. The funniest thing. I mean, the, the, I mean, the funniest thing at play. The thing that keeps coming back was when I was at Burnley and we played against Manchester United and we beat them 6-1. I scored two goals and Andy Lockhead, our centre-forward at Burnley, scored four. And to this day, he still miffed. And that's, what, 50 years ago? Because I got man of the match and he didn't. And to this day, every time I see him, why did you get man of the match? That's a disgrace. I scored four goals. I see, yeah, but I made them all. <laughs> so funny that I have to think of something that's, um, that's funny. Something that wasn't funny was John Aston when I was at Man United. John had got a bad tackle. And Chet Crompton, who was the trainer, as they called him in those days, came on and put the wet sponge on, as they did in those days. Sponge him down and said, you'll be all right. So he got him, got him his arm over his shoulder. He said, just stamp it and it will be better. <laughs> he actually had a broken leg. <laughs> it wasn't funny for John. It wasn't funny for John. But it was, yeah, he had a broken leg. And Jack has got him stamping. He said, you know, get it better. So, sounds funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time for him. I'm still going to have to think about it. A question from Manchester Vintage asking, 
tell me your feelings about the Milan 69 semi-final. We were robbed. Absolutely robbed. The referee took a bong. Without a doubt, the referee took a bong because the ball was over the line for the second goal. We were 1-0 up. Dennis had put the ball in. I followed the ball in. and The ball was about, I don't know, a foot, at least a foot over the line. And the keeper dived back and scooped it out with his arm. And the referee, we, I turned to get hold of Dennis, you know, to celebrate. And they played on. We were robbed. We should have gone back. We should have, that was the semi-final European Cup at the time. Yeah, we would have gone back. We would have won the final as well. No, we were robbed that night. So, heartbreaking. A follow-up to that question from Jim Halfpenny. He's saying that the home leg is known by many as being the best Old Trafford atmosphere ever. Would you agree? Uh, oh, you know, Jim, every time, every time I walked out the tunnel, Onto the pitch, the atmosphere at Old Trafford was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Every single game. The crowd were amazing. Stratford End were, I mean, they were, uh, they were just fabulous. But the whole, the whole ground, 63,500. And it was full every, every home game, obviously. And the atmosphere was just phenomenal. It was phenomenal for every game. Um, but we were robbed. <laughs> Make no mistake, we were robbed. Well, no, we were referee years. <laughs> now, you're probably, on... probably living in a castle in Italy. <laughs> we're on to the last question now, but because we're very kind, Willie, in this show, we've got four questions in from the same person, and that's Johnny Red. First, okay. he's asking out of all your teammates. Who's the one that you would, the first question is, who would you like, who's the one you, you went on the lash with the most? <laughs> I went, you know, Johnny, I, um, of all my teammates, I, I didn't really drink that much back in those days. The only time we had a drink was on a Saturday night um, after the match, obviously after the match, when you went out. And the, the drink in that was Bacardi and Coke was the footballer's drink back then. And uh, on the, my, my, the guys that I mated around, mated around with, with, with wives, Paddy Crown, Dave Sadler, Dennis and I, uh, and occasionally Alex Stepney and his wife. And invariably we'd all go out with some art and Jean on the Saturday night. We used to go to a little Italian restaurant. Um, you had to knock on the door and they opened a little window to see where you were before they let you in. Um, it was a tiny little place uh, run by a guy called Arturo. And uh, we used to go there and what they, after we had dinner and Matt sang, I belong to Glasgow. That was his part of the piece. Um, they, him and Jim would go home and then we'd go off to a club called Blinkers, which was just along the road from where we were. And we'd go, we'd go there and meet up with Bestie, we'd be there. Um, it, we, they were a close-knit, you know, they, they really, really uh, very close. So, on the lash. There, there were, I think the biggest, I think Steppers was 
the biggest drinker. Alex, Alex liked to drink. And um, the rest of them was only basically on a Saturday night. So it, it wasn't a, a drinking culture. Even on the road, you know, the good pictures and buy chocolates and ice cream. So it wasn't a boozy, it wasn't really a boozy club. The next thing he wants to know is which teammate would you have gone to for advice the most? Uh, would I have gone to had I needed advice? I, I never I never needed advice, Johnny. Um, who, as I said, we had the knit group. I said there was Crerin, Dennis, Stephanie. Dave Sadler, Destiny and myself. So when we were on the road, that was a we that was a group about the pictures or went uh, or whatever we did. We we had that little group, so and we were all very close. Uh, I I would probably have asked if I had needed help or advice, I'd probably have asked Paddy. The next thing he wants to know, and I think I might know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, he's honest. asking, who did you admire most as a footballer from your teammates? Amongst my teammates? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've said it many, many times, Johnny. The best player I ever played with, for me, was a guy called Brian O'Neill. And you, you, you won't know who he is. He played at Burnley. And he was a right half. There was no midfield players in those days. He was a right half. And he fed me all, I sat in the wing and he just fed me, fed me, fed me, fed me all day long. That was what he did. Uh, he was a super, super player, Brian. And then, of course, you know, you got all, all the players at Old Trafford. You know, they were all great in their own position. I mean, you know, some of the greatest of all time. You got, you got Bobby, George, Dennis, Paddy, Brian Kidd. Brian Kidd was a great player. Um, Tony Dunn and Shea Brennan, the bomber who we spoke about before, two great fullbacks. Um, Alex Stepney. Alex Stepney was unlucky. He was around at the same time as Gordon Banks because Alex Stepney was a great, great goalkeeper. Fantastic goalkeeper. So, you know, it was just a privilege. It was a privilege. It was a, you know, I enjoyed playing at Burnley and Bolton. Bolton was great. Uh, Ian Greaves was, was super manager. Harry Potts at Burnley was fantastic. But, I mean, Old Trafford was the, the holy grail. You know, the, there's nothing to compare with it. The atmosphere, again, that we spoke about earlier. When I first walked out that first night, I couldn't believe the it was electric. And um, uh, it was just a privilege to, to play in that era, play with and play against some of the greatest players that ever lived. So I hope that answered your question, Johnny. And his last one, four questions and all from him, is who, <laughs> who's your best mate in your time in football? I had two, um, apart from the obvious. You know, don't forget, on a daily basis, we played, after, after we finished training, I played golf with Paddy, and Alex Stepney and Dave Sadler, Dennis. But my two big pals off the pitch and away from, away from the club was Alan Ball 
and Jim McCallyog. Uh Bolly and I, uh, we, uh, why? Because he hated, he hated Scott, he hated the Scottish football team, <laughs> Bolly. But he was my big pal and sadly missed. And see, Jim McCallyog, Jim was lovely, lovely, lovely guy. But you know, I made friends, even up in Scotland, when, when having, when I was playing with Scotland, I had Andy Penman, uh, Derek Johnson, Sandy Jardine, uh, and they were all Rangers players. But I, Jim Baxter, when I had a testimonial, Jim Baxter came down and played in the golf day. Uh, Jim, now Jim could drink, the Bacardi kid, <laughs> as he was known, uh, but a great player. You know, it was, it was an era of phenomenal talent. You know, every club, every, every club had great wingers, every club had great halfbacks. You know, Bobby Moore, Dave McCarthy, they're just relentless. There were so many great players in the game then. And, and no coaches, <laughs> which made it a lot better. Well, I have to say before we finish, we actually got a message in from um, Jim McCallyog and, and Debbie. It just said, we are both listening to the shows all the way from Bonnie, Scotland. We are enjoying them every week. I hope you are well, Willie. I hope you are well also, Callum. Stay safe. Keep in touch, Debbie and Jim. Well, that is very nice. We, um, I hadn't seen them for years. and They came down to Jim Holton's book launch and came back around the house and we had a few drinks together and caught up because uh, we ended up in America together as well. So, and just before I go, um, I'd like to say hello because they, they turned up here yesterday, uh, Richard and Francis Fraser. Uh, for you people in Scotland, you'll know what I mean. They got a mixed marriage. He, he's a Ranger supporter, she's a Celtic supporter. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still together. <laughs> they've been together a long, long time. Anyway, the um, yeah, they're great friends. And they turned up here yesterday. They've been playing golf at the Mere, where I play, and called in with the grandsons. So, if you're listening, you two, um, I hope you're both well. So, there you are, young man. Is there any nothing else? Uh, I've not won the, the lottery or anything, have I? I'm going to have to... Sadly not yet. Yeah. Okay. But we I'll can finish, finish on a high, as I say, and remind everyone listening, if you go on to Football CFB's Twitter page, you retweet the pinned tweet, you get the chance to win a signed book from the man himself. And that book, as soon as we get to our next show, Willie will announce the winner by name, and we'll get that book sent to you, signed to you, and with a message that you want as well. Okay. Hey, I look forward to the next one. Hey, take it away. Here comes Willie Morgan. Willie, Willie Morgan, Willie Morgan, number one.